The following is a conversation with Craig McCartney, a.k.a. Beetle. Graduating from the University of Florida in 1983 with a BSEE, Craig ended up working for Bechtel Power Corporation from 1983 to 1985. After spending some time as an engineer, he then joined the U.S. Navy in 1985, receiving his Wings of Gold in 1987. He spent 14 years on active duty before going on reserve status and then hired by Delta Airlines in 1997. Craig is a two-time graduate of the U.S. Navy Fight Weapons School and is, is selected as a commanding officer of the VFA-203, which is the F-18 squadrons in the 2000s. He was a part of mobilizing three times while on reserve status in the U.S. Navy, and he retired as a captain in 2014. Presently, Craig is working for Delta Airlines and loving his life in Florida. Jake and I sit down with him and have an amazing conversation and dialogue about his years and time serving our country to everything post that and to even starting a relationship and meeting Jake's dad for the first time while working at Bechtel. We really hope you guys enjoy this conversation, and we cannot thank Craig and his family enough for everything they do for our country. Enjoy this episode, and without further ado, here's Craig. And welcome to the Humanistic Perspective, episode 24. I am more than honored to uh, welcome um, one of my uh, long-term family best friends, uh, pretty much known my entire life, uh, is... Uh, uh, naval what was a naval aircraft pilot for 14 years then joined delta he's he has some of the most incredible stories that i've known and uh i am happy to introduce craig mccartney craig how are you very good thank you for joining us i wanted to start by first saying thank you for serving and uh, everything you've done for our country um thank you if you would like to i would love to give you the opportunity let's go all the way back i'm talking childhood and let's uh from your perspective maybe some pivotal moments or some key milestones on the journey of your life well the uh one of the things that um you know i, I gave jacob just a very bulletized thing of whatever you know when i got out of college and everything but one of the things like when you talk about childhood uh my father was an air force pilot and my father uh, did a couple tours in vietnam um he was uh what he flew an airplane that was what they call a Ford air controller airplane where he would have to fly around and find the bad guys and mark the targets and then call in the strikes, a very dangerous mission. And my father, wow. got a distinguished flying cross. My, my father is, you know, I was very blessed having a father who, yeah, you, you look up to, you kind of go, this guy's a freaking, you know, an idol to me. Sure. Not only that, not only just his service, but he was just a great father. So that was my childhood, and that's kind of what got me to get into the military, just because you know my father did this stuff, and and um, so that was the beginning. And then my Navy career—that's what was so funny was my father and his uh, other Air Force buddies, you know, that I grew up with. Um, once I joined the Navy, they made a lot of fun of me because <laughs> they would go, "Oh, geez, oh, gee," was my father's name was Clay. They go, Clay, you got this idiot son who's a Navy pilot. He lands on this carrier. We have these nice runways. What kind of an idiot is he? You know, it was, it was, it was joking, obviously. 
Yeah, yeah. The bus kind of ball. That was that, that was the environment I got rid of it, and it was it's one it's one of those kind of things where, I mean, uh, my, my father passed away six years ago, but uh, you know, uh, growing up in that environment, it was just extremely formative. Where, uh, where did you guys live? Uh, were you moving all the time? Were you stationed in a specific? Yeah, place? we did. Yeah, we did. And but the thing is, what was kind of good was my father. Um, his last duty station was at Herbert Air Force Base in Fort Long Beach, Florida, which is where I pretty much grew up. And that's where I, I'm living now. I'm building a house there now because that's where I went to high school and had all these different friends here. So when I finished with the Navy, um, uh, I, I, I wanted to move back there because that's where my, my roots are, is Fort Long Beach, Florida. Um, and so that's why I'm building a house in there. And Jake... You'll get to yep. come down and oh, yeah. you can too. Oh, yeah. This house is going to be gorgeous. Your, your dad, I'm already told you that this is a beautiful house. So you all got to come down. We'll, we'll have some good time. Oh yeah. yeah I definitely is this like will. a dream house? Have you had this in your head for like years or? Yeah. I can't wait to see <laughs> oh, it. I can't wait then. That oh be... yeah. Oh yeah. We definitely, I, I can't uh, wait. Could you maybe give wait. us like a, an exclusive? What's like the, the feature you're most excited for on the home? Well, the, um, if you are familiar with Florida at all, like Destin, Florida is like a big resort area. Got you know, it. you have like uh, in the Northwest Florida panhandle, uh, you have like these areas like Destin where, you know, Destin is like on the Gulf of Mexico, but on the North side of Destin is the Gulf. I mean, the um, uh, um, Choctahatchee Bay, which is like four miles across, it's a huge bay. And I used to sail there. We used to ski there. We did all this stuff there. So wow. my dream house was I bought some land that's on Choctahatchee Bay. Oh, so I could no see fish, do whatever. It's, it's unbelievable. Right on yeah. the bay. And it's, it, it is the most spectacular piece of real estate. Like I said, Jake Garen, damn team, man. You, you know, Chad, you'll get to see it too. I mean, it's, it's, it's just gorgeous. So you'll, you'll, you'll Congratulations. But that's, but, but of course, the thing is, too, not only is it a nice piece of land, but that is where I grew up. Right. I still have a bunch of family and friends here, you know, and so that's what makes it kind of special, too, is, you know, that's where I grew up. And then it's a beautiful piece of land. But I've got all of these family and friends that are there, which makes oh it even God. more special. Yeah, that, that community, really. And that's sort of what we even started this podcast for was like really getting to connect and meet other people and just have mm -hmm. that humanistic experience of really learning from uh, wiser, you know. Well, I don't know about wiser, but maybe I was just lucky. <laughs> I think your Jake, your dad would say that. Your yeah. dad would say, "Wait, wait, I want to know." Lucky. I want to know, like, what? Okay, so tell me about the experience of like how exactly, how exactly did you meet my dad? How exactly did you meet? Well, my when dad, I, just... yeah, when I got here to Florida, you know, um, I got hired by Bechtel Power Corporation, and so did your dad, and and. And then we worked on different projects, but then I transferred to uh, Plant Bogle, which is a nuclear power plant in Georgia. Got it. it was big built and your dad was on that. And so once I got transferred to that, that's how I met your dad, because I was moving there and I, you know, he, him and I were both single. So when I found out I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to move to Augusta, um, I, I got- there We lost you there for a second. Sorry, my bad. Lost you there for a second. Sorry, my bad. Uh, yeah. Can you hear us now? I can hear you. All right. Sorry, we lost you there at the end there. Our, uh, our system cut out. That's all right. 
So what what part did you miss though? I just you so you literally right as you started talking about the um your this common you know you Jake's dad and I yeah correct you, yeah. So you, yeah. you guys yeah. met at the plant and you were single that's where you left off oh yeah oh yeah we were like we were both swinging single guys and the thing about Jake's father that <laughs> if if your dad will ever shoot pictures of those days in like the 1980s I mean I don't know if you all know this particular singer his name was Rick Spring Rick Springfield yeah, Jesse's oh, girl. A pair of the heart, Jesse's girl. You know, he was big back in the mid-80s. Big. And Jake, I'm telling you, man, your dad looked like him. And your dad's a musician. And so him and I would go out and like we were roommates. We'd go out <laughs> and it was like older you guys. I was like, all I did was like, I was like, I would get his throwaways. Like, because he was just uh, every all the women loved this because he had kind of long hair and he was he could play the guitar play the piano oh, and i mean and yeah. so i was but they always you look like rick springfield but anyway so your dad and i had so much fun during that time and but then after comes then i i joined the navy then that's when we kind of you know, I, I left the apartment, then I got my got on my little Navy journey. But the bottom line is that's how your dad and I met was just I moved to you know Augusta. I needed a roommate, and your dad, yeah, well, we roommate. We and we had more fun. I mean, oh my God. He was just he was just an incredible guy. How did you like, still is? Yeah. At that time, like how do you meet roommates? Because like we would now probably use like social media to connect first. Like, did you send postcards? Like, how did you even first like huh? It was just basically what it was was when we both got we both got hired by Bechtel about the same time. I think I think um, uh, Tom and I were in the same orientation class with Bechtel, like new hires. So we we're like new hires. Bechtel had like whatever twenty or thirty engineers that they just hired, and you, and, and you got placed whatever project they wanted you to be on. What were and you? I think that's when I first met it. What project were you on? Was that? What projects were you working on there? Well, the, well, the first one I was on was San Onofre, San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station. You, you, you know, Jake's dad and I, we Bechtel built nuclear power plants, so that that was our job. Was we would build, you know, we help build nuclear power plants. So my first one was San Onofre, which is in Los Angeles, and uh, Tom was at Vogel, which is outside of Augusta, oh. but. But Santa Nova got completed. So then when I, that got completed, now they, oh, well, you go work on Plant Bowl. And I remember Tom from our orientation class, and I went, hey, I'm moving out to Augusta. Hey, you know, want to get an apartment together? And Tom went, yeah, let's do it. Let's just freaking get there. And that's what we did. I mean, it's really no more complicated than that. So what, what enticed you to go to the Navy? Where, or, I mean, I know your, your father did, but at the time, like, why did you want to leave engineering and then uh, transition? To the Navy. Well, uh, this is going to sound kind of freaky. No, I shouldn't say freaky, no. but literally it was the weirdest thing just because, I mean, I got out of college. I like being an engineer. I made, I made very, you, you, you know, hey, Jake, your dad and I made damn good money for a single guy engineer. I'm going to be freaking good like you're so, yeah, my, dude, like, I, I, so I, money was not an issue so 
I, I had a brand new sports car. I was, you know, we were both singing. We were getting all sorts of whatever. We, we had a great time. But I would drive from where I lived in Los Angeles when I was at San Onofre, uh, nuclear station down the coast. And uh, I would drive by El Toro, El Toro. It was El Toro. It's no longer, it, no, it, they shut the base down. But back in 1984, El Toro Marine Corps Air Station was on, I would pass by it going to San Onofre. And, and, the, <laughs> and they were like, that was one of the first bases to get F-A-18s, which is the newest fighter, the newest military fighter. And I know nothing about flying. All I know is I would drive in my 280ZX sports car with the top down and I drive and I'd see these these airplanes flying and I, and I would, I'd look up at them and I'd kind of go, how, that looks like that would be cool as shit to do. Right. So I was like, uh, that's pretty cool. And that's when I talked to my father my father, you know, my father, if, if, if you know much about the Vietnam era, it was a very tough time because that war was a very controversial um, era um, in the United States. So if, if you were in the military in Vietnam, you weren't like we are now where people go, you know, you know, you say, thank you for your service. Thank you. The, back then you were spit on, you were like, wow. uh, you were called a baby killer. I mean, it was horrible back then. And very bad. Did that affect you school and like in school at all? Oh yeah. All the time. It was horrible. And so my father wouldn't talk about it a whole lot. And the, you know, and, and so it's not until I expressed an interest with joining the Navy with, you know, when I saw those F-18s flying around, you know, I, I, I like went to my father. I said, hey, you know, because I, I mean, I was I, I love being an engineer, but I don't, well, that might be kind of because I was single. I was 23. I don't care. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I can do whatever I want to do, like like y'all were doing. Just yeah. just explore things. What do you want to do? Find out what you want to do. And so I, I didn't know. So I just saw those airplanes firing. And I went. So I called my dad up and I go. Dad, was it was it cool being a pilot? And he goes, "Oh yeah, I loved it." And I said, "I was so dumb. I thought that the Air Force landed aboard aircraft carriers." And my dad went, "No, no, 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 no. That's Navy. And if you want to fly F-18s, you got to join the Navy." And so I went, "Okay." And I was twenty-four, I guess. And uh, and I remember kind of thinking to myself, "Well, you know, should I try to leap from?" being an electro engineer to trying to be a Navy pilot. And uh, I remember my father kind of go, well, you know, he called me Craiger. He go, well, Craiger, you know, here's the thing. Back in those days, and it's still this way now, if you're over 26 years old, you cannot join the Navy as an officer and be a pilot. You cannot. That's just, it's, this is an age restriction. Oh, I didn't know that. So my, so my dad says to me, he's all right, Craiger, you're 24. And he says, you know, if you wait too long, you can't be a pilot. If you wait somewhere, you can't do it. And, and one of the most profound things my father said that has stuck to me to this day was he went, you know, Craig, you never want to look back on your life and wish you would have done something. Mm-hmm. So he was basically kind of saying, if you want to try to do that, do it. Because you only have a couple of years. And if you don't, you won't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I left Bechtel and Jake, with your dad, I was there in Augusta, and I said, "Hey, Tom, I'm the Navy," and, and and Tom goes, "Really?" And I went, "Yeah," and he, and he was like, "Just like, well, that's cool as shit." 
And I, well, we'll see. I don't know. So I just left that go and joined the Navy. I, because I went, what the heck? I'm a single guy. What the heck? You know, follow, you know, if you see something you want to do, well, check it out. Especially when you're young like you guys. Check it out. Yeah. See what you want to do. You know, don't get stuck in a rut. Don't feel you have to stay in something. If there's something that interests you, go for it. See what happens. Who knows? I, I, I feel that so much. Like right now, it's, it's a lot of like, we've been talking so much and, and we've been doing so much planning. Like we're, we're mm-hmm. like, what do we want to do? And, but how can we make sure we're establishing maybe, you know, target markers or points that could help make it a more efficient process to trying to get what we want to do with our lives. But we are still being so creative and so free right now. Like that's the beauty of it is it's not- being more honest and being more realistic. I feel like in how you actually attempt your goals, because you can have desires and you can have, you know, things that you want to achieve but if you never set them out and really plan it out and give it everything you have then you won't achieve it the way you want to achieve it in your mind i would say one thing sure. um planning uh you know uh you all should both know even though it's way before your time you know who you know uh, dwight d eisenhower is right of course yeah you know, eisenhower you know, he was the freaking, you know, World War II in charge of all the theater and everything. And he was president of the United States. Right. Dwight D. Eisenhower had one of the greatest sayings that I've, and I, this is decades ago when I heard it, I went, yeah, he's absolutely right. He goes, planning is everything. So, hey, get your plans. Wonderful. Get your plans out there. Yeah. So he was saying, planning is everything, but plans are worthless. Because you can lay all this stuff out, but when it comes to implementing it, sure. hey, things change. Things change. So plan all you want. But my thing is, you may plan something, but most more times than not, it's not going to go as planned. Really. And so be flexible. So plan stuff out, wonderful. But if things don't go like you think they're gonna go that's all right just um flex just find some way to because frankly in the navy i didn't do that numerous times i didn't know what i was doing so i was kind of i had a plan but i didn't know what i was doing but so what happened i go well well, i don't i I didn't expect that i thought this and you just kind of go well but i still want to have this goal but my biggest thing is absolutely get plans once again eisenhower plans are worthless because when it comes down to it you know what's going to happen but plan no question planning's everything but plans are worthless it's one of the greatest quotes i've ever heard from somebody and it's totally true so plan stuff out but when it doesn't like you say well gosh i thought it was going to work out this way well it didn't so flex do this then uh flex flex your plan to something else i feel like that definitely resonates with like how my dad feels like he always is like don't plan like don't plan what you're going to do for the rest of your life plan what you're going to do for like the next two years yeah yeah that's not bad i like that that's good interests change and you change over like i love how yeah, yeah, yeah you and my dad i feel like it's just because of the life that you guys lived you know you had so many different things that 
happened to like create the job that you officially like yeah i wanted to say what if like what was the mentality like going through the navy academy um getting your training what do you what do you think were a lot of the mindsets or principles or the key takeaways that someone who um maybe doesn't go through that program could get or could benefit from the um the one thing that you know uh I, I was not a very good student in high school. I made okay. I, I, I was like, a, I mean, I, I would lie, I didn't flunk, but I was not a very smart guy. Unlike Tom, Jake's dad, who was a freaking PhD, super smart dude. That was not me at all. So my thing was, I played sports. I was, you know, I played football, this stuff. And that was a great thing because when you talk about the way it was being in the Navy, which is something that uh, is very tough is you get put into these situations that are unbelievably stressful and you have to react immediately. There is no time to think about it. You have to be able to like, sometimes you got to react immediately and you have to, and, 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 and you also, you have to, I mean, you have to be essentially relatively fearless and like, you know, you can't worry about, oh my gosh, this is kind of dangerous or something. Well, yeah, but I mean, when you go down, driving a car is dangerous. You can get in a car wreck anytime, but you have to be like where you, um, if you're in these situations, and this is what the Navy looks for as a pilot, is that you can handle the stress, you can react immediately. And one of the things I was good at was sports and that prepared me with the Navy train because that's what they require. They want somebody who can react yep. quickly and it's not going to, you know, freeze up because, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. No, you better figure it out right now. And those are the things that the Navy screens for. And that's why, well, some people go through, some people don't. Sure. Were you nervous going through the screening process? Oh, you look at cut out. Uh, were you nervous going through the screening process or were you prepared? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was nervous as hell all the time. I would, I would throw up. I mean, I was nervous. I mean, I could play football games. I mean, I was nervous as could be. I mean, I was just, it was nerve wracking, just nerve wracking. How long into training before you feel G's? Like, how long is it before they're like, all right, now you could be in a plane. Now we're going to start doing that. Like Simulating the, the G-force while doing the training for it. Well, the, the first plane you fly in the Navy back in my day, it was a turboprop airplane, which could, it was a fully acrobatic airplane. So it could pull all sorts of G's. I mean, not a huge amount of G's, not like, when I flew F-18s in the Navy, that could pull a lot of cheese, sustained cheese. But the uh, but the plane would go, it could go upside down. I mean, you, you pull all sorts of cheese. And so that's one of the things they told you. And the, the, one of the things too, um, since I'd never flown until I got in the Navy, my first couple of flights, I was sick. I, I was throwing up in the airplane because I was, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, you're upside down, you're, I was throwing up. And they screened for that too. Like, can you get over being uh, air sick? And, and some guys can't. Well, you can't be a pilot then if you can't get over being air sick. So that was a tough thing. Um, but the bottom line is you're, you're pulling G's when you first get in an airplane in the Navy. You're like, they're putting you upside down, doing all sorts of stuff. And wow. they want to see what, what, you're, what, what you're made of. 
security. Oh, Talk about the process of like how to like the art of just landing on aircraft carriers. Is that I remember? That was that was that was this out of the all of the things I ever have done. That was I never get my first aircraft carrier landing because there is no more stressful thing than that. I mean, really seriously. Well, what's what's funny is is is, is the Navy like they um you know you fly with an instructor you do stuff and now granted after you know when I was in the Navy when I first started flying after fourteen flights if you pass all those flights they would let you solo so you take this plane off by yourself it was, it was a T thirty four Charlie and it was it, but like I said acrobatic airplane turboprop and so that was such a cool day because I these the Navy gave me a plane by myself which is so cool. So, but that was neat. But what's funny about the Navy when it comes to aircraft carriers is your. Hey guys, I just wanted to come on here real quickly. I am so sorry for the audio breakup. We are having such technical difficulties with our audio interface and our equipment and Zoom for this episode. Um, but it got worked out and we picked back up. Uh, we actually go into G's a little bit, but we will get right back on topic with uh, landing the aircrafts on the ships. Um, the whole episode is really interesting. So sorry for that cutout. The rest of it's just here right now. Let's uh, pick up. We were ju we just finished up talking about the G's. Do you maybe like, so what, where are you stationed first? What was your first mission right after graduating school and finally being a pilot? The way, yeah. The way it works for the Navy is you get your wings and then they, and you get, and, and you try to choose what airplane you want to fly. And, um, I want to fly F-18s because I was like, that's that's a plane I saw flying around when I was driving, you was know, to Beckville. At the time? Say again? Was that the most state-of-the-art plane at the time? Yes, back then, absolutely. Okay. Completely. Top-of-the-line state-of-the-art airplane. And um, and so uh, I, but you, you choose what airplane you want to fly but the needs of the Navy is what dictates where you're going to fly. The Navy goes, all right, you want to fly? Great. But we're going to tell you what we need you to fly. So you, you put in a choice. And I was kind of lucky because I flew what they call an A7, A7 Corsair, and which I knew was going to go away and get, it was going to be replaced by the F-18. Oh. So the first plane I flew was an A7 Corsair. Um, and it was a very hard airplane to fly, very hard. You know, and, and so, but, you know, so I, I, my first cruise was in A7s, and then after that we transitioned to F-18s. So then F-18s for the rest of my career. So uh, that's the way that kind of worked. But that's it's it's a uh, it's you know, and it was kind of neat. And even the A7 was not what I wanted to fly. It, it was my second choice. Got it. You know, I put F-18s in A7s, and then they went, okay, well, great, you want to have F-18s, but now you're going to fly A7s, which is fine. That's okay. That's fine. And that's what I did for a couple of years. Wow. So what uh, what were some of the missions that you were a part of? Well, the uh, the A7 was, uh, the way the Navy works, you know, the the letter is like attack. A7 is attack. It's an attack. It's a bomber. And uh, it would bomb targets. And so it would do stuff, would bomb stuff and, you know, basically blow things up. And, um, and it had a limited air-to-air -air capability, like a fighter, it, we could carry um, a, uh, some limited missiles to shoot down the airplanes, but it's very limited. Now, an F-18 was, it's actually an F-A-18, 
the F-18, which made it so unique, was it could do everything. It had the state-of-the-art radar, state-of-the-art air-to-air missile systems. We could drop any bomb on anything. It could do every mission that the Navy needed. And that's what made that airplane so unique. And so that's why we transitioned into that. I was like, yes, yeah, it was cool. So bottom line is an F-18, when I got to that, you could shoot down airplanes, you could sh- drop bombs on stuff, you could do anything. So, uh, and that's what made it such a unique airplane. Oh, wait, I wanna, I wanna talk about, because um, I think we didn't get, in, get into it fully, the landing on the aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I was yeah. left up where we're talking about how, like, you literally your first meal on aircraft, you're by yourself. Right. And that day was unbelievable. There was, I don't think I've ever been under more stress in my life than the day they said, you're going to go out the aircraft carrier, you go all the training, and now you're by yourself laying on an aircraft carrier. And I don't think ever, nothing, nothing's come close to that. That was the most stressful thing ever because, you know, I mean, they what they would do in the Navy, they'd have like the airfield where we would train, they'd paint like a carrier box, like an aircraft carrier. So they try to see on a runway, here's how big the aircraft carrier box is where you land. And then they'd have LSOs where you land and signal officers who talk you aboard the ship. And they had the, it was, it was called the Fresnel lens. It was a lens you had on the ship that would see how you could look at it and see if you're above or below glide slope, whatever. And that's what you'd fly yep. to go to the aircraft carrier. So it was identical to the aircraft carrier, but it's obviously, it's a huge runway. They painted this carrier box in this runway, but so, I mean, you would, you would land in it and you would train for that, but it's kind of like, well, still it's, you, you have this huge runway. And also <laughs> I'll never get Right. Yeah, so I'll never get like, so when we launch off to go to the aircraft carrier. So it's like, it's moving. Well, actually, they make very sure the aircraft carrier is very, when you go out there for the first time, the sea state has got to be very calm. They, they, they are not going to have the students have a, have, a, a, have a moving deck. They will not do that. So it's very, they make sure the weather's good and the deck's not moving around because they know this is the first time these, these students are going out to an aircraft carrier. They're going to break but I'll never forget. Yeah, but I, I, I'll never get so we. We're out there. There's a there's an instructor and there's three students on his on the wing. So it's, it's a four plane. But the instructor takes us to her, and I'll never forget. So we're going on the carrier, and and then we come into the break. They call it. We had to come around. Then you get in the landing pad and land with her. And I'll never forget. Well, I was, you know, I'm, you know, and now it's no kidding. An aircraft carrier. It's this is the size of the carrier. And I looked down and I went, Are you? We're going to land on this little thing here because yeah it was on the runway but you, like once again you have a huge runway so it doesn't really sink into you like oh, well, you got a huge runway no. but that aircraft i'll never get i went are you kidding me but you just do your training they train you to do it and you land and but it's and you have that to, was an unbelievable day you have to land on the wires what's that you have to land on like, where they have like uh yeah, it's all graded. Every every landing you have on an aircraft carrier is graded. Everyone, everyone. Whenever you land on an aircraft carrier, it's graded. And the landing signal officers, which I got to be an landing signal officer, because when, when you get to the fleet, you can be designated as a landing signal officer. It's basically you're an instructor for landing what a carrier, but you have to be, you know, in the, in the squadron. Wow. But bottom line is 
you know, every guy who's landed aboard an aircraft carrier, that their, their landing is graded. And there's a grading crit uh, critique that we have because it's such an important thing and it's tough. So, and, and whenever guys, they call them cycles. When you'd have like a, on the carrier, you have cycles where you'd launch 20 airplanes that come back from their mission and land. And, and it's like, it, whatever, 10 cycles a day, but whatever, whenever a cycle would end, uh, the landing signal officers would go to every pilot who landed on that cycle and debrief them on their landing. Wow. And you would tell them, here's what you did good, here you did bad, whatever. Because it's such a critical part of being a Navy pilot. You know, I mean, you want to make sure guys are doing a good job flying aboard the carrier because it's just critical. And it's what makes us different from anybody else is you, know, you have to do that. But, uh, but that first carrier landing, man, I cannot tell you that was like unbelievable. That was probably the most scared I've ever been in my life was that first carrier landing. Wow. Do you know the fastest recorded speed that you've gone? Well, I mean, the F-18 would go come close to Mach 2. I mean, I went like Mach 1.7, 1.7 times the speed of sound. But, you know, when you're, when you fly those speeds and you're up that high, you don't really, it doesn't really register because all you is like your instruments like, oh gosh, I'm going 1.7 Mach, but it's kind of like, huh? you're just doing your stuff. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel any different when you break the sound barrier. You just, because an F-18 is a fly-by-wire airplane where everything is flown by computers and it compensates for all of these different things. So it, the plane's so good when you break the sound barrier, it's kind of like, oh gosh, I'm going supersonic now. Well, wow. gee, how cool is that? You don't really even think about it. It's just the way it goes. What was uh, one of, so you talked right about flexibility, about um, being adaptable. What was maybe a in the field experience you had where like you can recall like, man, I really, I, I just had to be on the fly, but I, I knew my, my instincts and my training could, could keep me through this moment. Could you have a moment like that, maybe? The, um, I mean, there were times where, I guess especially would be like my first cruise when I was flying at sevens was um, things went kind of bad, weather kind of, kind of bad and, and I almost run out of gas. I mean, I came very close, but it's one of the kind of things where you don't panic you got to kind of go, all right, you got to do certain things. And, uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, you fall back on your training because that's what they do. The, the biggest thing is, and you know, I think, you know, I, I think Jake, your dad might've told you when I, I, one of my activations with the Navy, I got an army brigade where it's on the ground in Iraq, like with the army guys. And, you know, we, we, we got some stuff there too, but you always just, you know, one thing about the military that's so good is that they, they teach, they train you for when things get bad, you just fall back on your training. Like you go, oh man, this is, this is not good. Well, go back to your training. You don't panic. And trust me, don't think that people don't because there are plenty of, you know, military people who have panic, whatever they end up, you know, sadly they get killed or they, something happens because you have to, when you reach a state where 
things are not going like you think they should go or things are really bad, you have to go back to, well, and that's, like I say, the first one I board an aircraft carrier. I mean, that was peacetime. It's not like I was in combat, but I've never been that scared, ever. There's been times since I've, you know, active duty where all these different combat things, I was never that scared like it was on an aircraft carrier, but they teach you that. And that's what's so great about the military is that they, they teach you how to deal with very stressful situations. And that's what you did. So if something happens that's not according to plan, like, oh, that's not where I try. Well, I'm fine. Don't panic. And, you know, figure out what you need to do and change your plan. Get a different plan now because that plan didn't work. So I'm right, fine. Let's figure out a different plan. How was the transition from going though from like what made you decide to leave the Navy eventually after the 14 years and then transition to becoming in, um, a pilot for Delta? Well, sadly, Jake can kind of relate to this. It was the wife. She, we had two kids. She was getting tired of moving and I get it. So I left because of family. It just, it, it's tough. It, it wears on a family. So I left because of family. So we wouldn't move around anymore. It was a very, once I got hired by Delta, a very stable environment. I lived in Atlanta. Yeah. We wouldn't move around anymore. I wasn't going on cruises, you know, for six months at a time. So it was family. It was a normal company. Because I actually love the Navy. I'd want to stand forever. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, this is a tough way to live. It's not an easy lifestyle when you have a wife and kids. So. How many how many different places have you lived while you were uh, stationed? Oh boy, I don't know. Jeez, I I I don't know. Ten? I, I really don't know. I, I we moved so much. It was just you just move all the time. Is it were there some that were international, or is it all within the United States? Well, I mean, you have to understand with the Navy, it's all in the United States, but you go on an aircraft carrier, you're, you're gone for, you're gone for six months around the world doing all, all the stuff. So I'm, I was always stationed in the Navy in the United States, but that didn't make any difference. I'm gone. I'm leaving somewhere. You know, it's, it's the way it goes. So there would be, there would be, my wife and kids would be at some Naval Air Station somewhere and I'd be on, I'd be gone somewhere do you is there any point of contact at this time is there like a, do you have a phone or just letters well, yeah i mean it's better now than it was back then but like my first cruise i guess this is back in 19 see i'm i'm so much older than you guys yeah that you know my first cruise was in 1989 so geez what is that like 32 years ago back in those days your communication back to the states we had ham radios, these radios, and they would get on the cure and they could link these different things. And you could talk to your wife and kids, but that was like once every couple of months. Now, when you pulled in the port, they would have phones. You could talk to them. Very tough though. Very, I mean, so the amount of communication that I had with my wife and kids, like on my first cruise was not much. So the cruise was a bit better and then things got better as time goes on. Now it's wonderful because they, you know, you always like, look at the Zoom thing. You can, you can do that. So it's way better now but back and when i first oh it was good write a lot of letters yeah 
work a lot of hours, you know. And then my son cruise, we had videotapes. She sent me some videotapes and stuff, and we do that back and forth. But it was it was tough. So that's why when my when my wife said, you know, I, I you know get out, go fly for Delta Airlines, and I could still be in the Navy, which I was as a reservist. That was fine. I, I you know I I didn't want to, but eh, you got to do what's good for your family. You know, I mean that's the most important thing you got when you get married and have kids. Yeah. What was the uh... What was the biggest transition going from uh, military flying to civilian flying, like for, for commercial flying? The, um, the one thing about like Delta Airlines or any big airline is that they like military guys because they know you, you can handle stress, you can do everything. So, um, I don't want to, one thing good about civilian airlines is they're very safe. They very, they really make sure that things are going to work out. Okay. The planes are like my F-18 was not constructed as well as like an Airbus when apply an, an, an A320 or a 7 they don't have the redundancy of the systems. And plus, you know, let's face it, you know, airliner, they just fly kind of straight level. They, they don't do anything. Well, so they're very safe. So when you go to an airliner, when you go to an airline, come in the military, you're going to an environment where um, the planes are extremely well built, very safe, very regimented. And basically it's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, this job is uh, something I can do. Yeah, that's all right, I can do that job. And the cool thing is too, is like it's so, I guess it's a less stressful job. I mean, look, I'm not landing or an aircraft carrier flying for Delta Airlines. So, <laughs> I mean, Clear pathway. Wow. But what makes the airline so interesting is like, all right, so, you know, they, they want me for the stuff that I've done, but they also pay you pretty freaking well. So it's kind of like, so when my wife said, get out and go to the airlines, I do stuff and I'm well, all right, that's fine. All that, but frankly, the transition from military to a, a commercial airline is very simple. Yeah. Not hard at all. Not a big thing at all. It was like, that's fine. I can do that. Did you see, uh, how did 9-11 impact your industry? Badly. Uh, but I will tell you right now, COVID is way worse than 9-11. Really? Oh, worse. Can't make a 9-11 was bad. Right. Uh, COVID is way worse. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Oh, yeah. Because it's way, like, way worse. This has affected it the most. So it's going to change us the most. No doubt. I wanted to ask um, a lot of times, like, I, I hear or you hear that, like, the military technology is at least like 10 years or five years ahead of what we're seeing out in the, like, civilian world. Did you see that while you were serving in your time? Like, did you see technology? They were like, all right, I could tell, like, this is like, something that I haven't seen before or it's, it's ahead of its time or well let me uh well it's frankly the opposite the really? military is always behind our technology oh yeah because you have to understand when you implement some kind of a new airplane or sub or ship or 
armored personnel carrier or a bomb or a missile, whatever. I mean, people don't understand when that actually gets approved to be deployed with, you know, an aviation squadron, a battalion, a brigade, you know, a ship, whatever. It's got to go through a lot of trials and, and, and it's got to be proven. So that makes it to where the military is always like way behind on technology because when it finally gets approved, like, okay, you can actually shoot this missile. You can drop this bomb. You can shoot this gun. That's taking like five, 10 years. And you can't change the technology. Like even though you can have, oh, there's a better computer chip for this now. Can't do it because that's what it was approved for. So what I'm trying to tell you is <laughs> the military, it's usually, we are not leading edge by any means. No, 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 no. Something actually gets deployed that we utilize in the, in the, uh, <clears throat> in the combat zones. <laughs> it was, <clears throat> it's technology is like, well, we already got something better than that right now. Well, right. yeah, but that's what got approved <laughs> to be carried and utilized. So it's actually the opposite. No, we're not the leading edge of technology. Militaries, no, 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 we're not. Going off of that now, do you think that the U.S. is lacking in terms of how to protect us in, from a cyber attack? That's a good question. Because I feel like we're very vulnerable in that sense, regard. in that regard, while other countries are exceeding at that technology. Um, you know, I, I've been, I mean, my last active duty thing was at United States Central Command, CENTCOM, which is the, the big one where all this stuff's going, that's, you know, that's Afghanistan, Iraq, all there, all those areas there. And I got involved in a lot of stuff that I cannot talk about. I'm not trying to be cryptic. I just can't. Sure. And now that was maybe one well, freaking maybe eight years ago now um so and I, I got you know the way the military works is when you um you you get what they call they call it a read-in first of all you have to have a top secret tss yeah they call it top secret secret problems information clearance and then you get read in a bunch of different things that you that you can't you, you cannot talk about i mean you you'll just go to jail you talk about now, that was a that was eight years ago and i got involved with a lot of stuff and so i can't say a whole lot um i just tell this to people we're okay yeah. we're fine don't worry about it we're all right all right, all right. That's <laughs> That's interesting. i wanted to right. i i like getting people's opinions of what's going on or seeing maybe mindsets and mentalities on what we're facing now. Who do you think currently is the United States' biggest threat? Is it Iran? Is it China? Is it Russia? Where, where, in, in your interpretation? Well, I mean, once again, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm retired, so I can have my own opinion. Yeah, yeah, of course. My opinion now is just China. Yeah. Yeah. China. Yeah. Look at you. Look at China. This COVID stuff is from China. I mean, do you believe. I want to maybe ask and get more specific then. Let's go into that a little bit. Do you believe it's maybe, is it because of all their industrial trading and all their establishment uh, in the other countries? Or do you believe it's maybe their, um, their intellectual property theft or 
what what would you say it's a combination of everything right because the world works that way or <laughs> maybe uh just interesting all of the above yeah all of the above yeah all of the above you know i mean you have to i grew up in the cold war with the soviet union like Jake's dad kind of did too. I mean, we all go to the Soviet Union. Oh my gosh, they had all this stuff going on. It's kind of the same kind of. And they called it the Cold War because it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a hot war where you're no kidding launching a, a war. It's a Cold War. I think we're in a Cold War right now with China, like we're back with the Soviet Union, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Same thing. So it's all of the above. Mm. Yeah, so. Wow. Do you think, uh, do you know about uh, Starlink by chance and Elon Musk, what they, what they're working on with that? What's that? Uh, Starlink and Elon Musk with his uh, project. I don't know what that is. All right. So uh, I know, I know Elon Musk, but I don't know what Starlink is. So uh, Starlink is their attempt to, they're sending a bunch of satellites up out of the, you know, in the, in space orbit around the earth. And they're going to use that to connect Wi-Fi and, and data in very remote locations. Do you think that's going to have an, I wanted to maybe think from like an aerospace to, uh, standpoint, do you think that's going to have an effect on like traveling outside of our solar system? And, and do you think it's good to have a ton of like satellites floating up in space? Well, I do. And that's also why we have my sons in the army. Sure. Captain the army and, uh, and, you know, they just stood up Space Force, which is another branch of the Department of Defense, which is exactly what you're talking about, because that is, you know, you know, you know, people don't, if you, if you remember history, like, you know, um, back, like the Revolutionary War, there was the United States Navy and the United States Army. Yeah. There was no Air Force, there was no Marine Corps, but then as World War II happened, then there was the Army Air Corps. Then, oh, we have to have the Air Force now. And then the Navy went, well, you know, if we're going to talk about having boots on the ground, we have the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so now Space Force is another battlefield, which is space. Mm-hmm. So you have Space Force now, and that's the battlefield. And it is a battlefield because satellites are, I mean, look, your cell phones, your GPS stuff, your, it's all satellites, man. And so, and once again, I can't talk a whole lot, but you don't, people don't understand how, how uh, it's, our security is, is dictated a lot by the satellites we got up in space. It's huge, it's huge. So it is a no kidding, that's a new battlefront, just yeah. like the sea, the air, whatever. And so that's why there's Space Force. And my son is in the first space brigade in the Army. No. And his thing is, he's like, he's got to deal with all this stuff, satellites and everything else. So it's a big deal. And the thing is, um, it's something that we just evolved into. And yeah, it's a great thing to have. Yeah. But it also makes us, it's one more area where if some bad country wants to really try to, you know, uh, defeat us, that is a battle area. Well, yeah, yeah. If you freaking knocked out all the U.S. satellites, let's say, oh, you would cripple us. 
to cripple us. Mm-hmm. You're crippling. So that's a new, just like in World War II, air. That's why they created the Air Force after World War II, because air was a big arena. My God. Space is a new arena now. So yeah, I mean, those there's a lot of satellites up there, and there's going to be more. And those need to be protected. That's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. What I want to maybe... So, like, how long did it take before you became a captain, and what did that entail at, in that role? Uh, captain for who? Up in the Navy. Navy or the or Delta? Uh, Navy. Navy. Yeah. Well, Navy, yes. Yeah, see, Delta's kind of like, uh, you kind of like, <laughs> what's so funny about Delta is it's basically, I'm in a union, so it's like a seniority number kind of thing. You get to seniority, you can be a captain. You got to pass stuff, so it's, it's not like the Navy. Navy is... is uh, um, that is something you have to achieve through a lot of different things. So, yeah, it took a while. Um, I was I was very lucky in that I got selected to be the commanding officer for F-18 Squadron, you know, which was, uh, that's kind of a pinnacle for a lot of people. Yeah, you're that's- in charge of, I'm basically, you're in the middle of like a, of a, of, a, of a unit like my my unit we had 14 f-18s that were assigned to my unit each one was like you know 60 million a piece so you you're talking about hundreds <laughs> of, of millions of dollars of, of hardware what? and then pilots and everything it's very so when you select to be a commanding officer that's a big deal so i was very honored to be selected be but once you get to be a seal of a squadron like that when you when you're up you, you have to be a commander which is an 05 and it's 01, 01 through 09 is, is the officer ranks in the military. And so I was an 05 commander. And once you finish that tour, if you're a CEO of a squadron, you're pretty much guaranteed to make happen an 06, which is now you're really high up there. Um, not that's one below an admiral. And so once I finished that tour, you know, like, well, you're, you make it so making captain wasn't that tough because a big cut was being commanding officer of a squadron. That was a pinnacle. That was like, that was a, that, that was a very, I mean, I was extremely, I mean, that's my cherish to be the Navy said, we're going to put you in charge of an F-18 squadron. That's a big deal. Could you share maybe a little bit about that? Like, do you guys like, are you guys all chatting when you're, are you, are you guys flying in patterns together? Are you on the ground a lot when you're a commander? Are you in the air still or? Everything, all of the above. The thing is when you get to be a commander officer, um, you don't fly as much as you used to because you have a lot of other duties. Yeah. Because, you know, in a Navy squadron, the, um, there's basically about 300 people you're in charge of. There's only like 20 pilots. There's only 20. Yeah. The other two are Navy are all like, there are officers who maintain the airplanes, but it's support. But if you're the commanding officer, you're in charge of all of those people. And so, and a lot of these guys, they're, they're, they come out of high school, they join the Navy, whatever, and, yeah, and you're in charge of them. So you have a lot of other duties that are well beyond flying. Yeah, you're administrative now as yeah. well. Because you're, 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 it's also too, like you're, you, I mean, truly, it's the pinnacle of being a leader because you're a counselor too, right? Like, you're, I'm sure a lot of these people had to look up to you and like they're looking. Oh, uh, I mean, this, you know, 
the one thing people don't get too is you know you, you hear this too um is uh, the ucmj if anybody watched like ncis or watches movies i mean the ucmj you know from code of military justice the one thing too that 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 people don't understand when you're commanding officer is like if if somebody gets in trouble you know someone let's say gets in trouble gets a dui or you know he steals something or what that made a difference um he can be brought in front of me as a commanding officer because he's in my squadron and he goes to captain's mast and i can basically tell him you're going to stay in the navy i can boot him out of the navy I can punish him. I can reduce him in rank or, or rate. I can fine him. I am judge and jury as a commanding officer. Now, I, I, I have a legal assistant, you know, a lawyer who advises me on what I can and can't do. But that's something too that's when you're a CEO, that's a big responsibility because you're like, you know, I mean, look, all of us get in trouble. So it's kind of like, well, what are you going to do, Skipper? You're going to boot this guy out of the Navy or reduce him in, in rate or fine them? Uh, what we actually, when you're out on carriers, I, I I don't think they can do it anymore. I've been out of the Navy for at the point now I don't really know. But back in my day, if you're a commanding officer, when you're on a carrier, you could no kidding. If you're out on the carrier, you could reduce a or you could uh, punish a person to bread and water and they would be in a break on the carrier and they would no kidding have just bread and water for a week or so wow as a as a commanding officer you could you could say you're going you're on bread and water for a week wow what that's how the position is a very it's i mean it is kind of one of those things where it's kind of like it's that's why when you get selected it's a big deal because kind of wow it's not the navy and you to make those kind of decisions but uh it's a pretty amazing thing so that i mean it was that was i mean that is kind of the pinnacle and but the bottom line is if you if you get that and you make your career if you make it through the your your, your commanding officer okay you're going to be a navy captain if you don't if you're not a commander of a squadron or something being a navy captain is tough because you got to go through different avenues so i kind of once i got sick for co it's kind of like well I'm going to make happen, you know, and that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, oh gosh, I want to, I want to talk about something that I always thought was funny um, because you, you, you all got nicknames. I mean, I know your nickname. because uh, call sign. It's a call sign. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to. Uh, it cracks me because call signs are funny as hell. Oh yeah. Yeah. Call signs. Okay, oh, let the dog out. <laughs> Oh my God, the call signs are funny as hell. Uh, what was your uh, call sign? Beetle, because it's B E A T L, because my last name is McCartney. Uh, so they, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And but the thing is, what's funny is like I got that call sign because when I was going through flight training before I got my wings or anything, the first when you're flying in my day, you'd fly this advanced fighter or advanced attack airplane, and you'd go down like the first time you fly and drop bombs they, they weren't bombs they were like they were like only this big they were like they were mark 76 this metal bomb but they had the, tra the trajectory of a regular bomb so they would and they and they had a little smoke charge you could see where the bomb hit so when you went out on this top the the instructor led it who was a 
you know, a, a, a guy who's been in the Navy for who knows how long and he's, in he's been on cruises, so he knows what he's doing. He's an instructor. He's been dedicated as an instructor to teach us guys who don't know what the hell we're doing. We're just like, oh, we're going to grow bombs today? Okay, well, great. We don't know what the hell we're doing. So the instructors had to do it. But the funny part is the first bomb hop you go on is when they give you a call sign because it's got to be a call sign. So my first stop, there was an instructor and then three of us students. There was Berger, me, and Fippinger. That I'm, I'm never, that's three names. And, and, and not all these guys, but the instructor comes in to brief us and looks at our names and gun. He just gives out call signs. He's gives them out. So with me, like McCarty, I'm going to call you Beetle, like the Beatles. Fippinger, okay. like, you know, we're going to call you Fip. Okay? But Berger, <laughs> he called him Fur. We're going to give you a call sign fur because that's the name you use for the entire story. So oh. that's what that's what happened. You get a call sign. That's what it gets. Are you, are you still? And then. Oops. What's are that? You still, are, you, are you still great friends with like those guys that you were coming up with at that time? Yeah. Yeah. Fippinger, I still know him. Um, he was a Marine. I came down with him and. Uh, Furberger, I've I've lost track of him. He was you know different things, but uh, yeah, this is like guys that I went on flight training with that I still see. Yeah, and that's like freaking to be like whatever. Jesus Christ, it'd be uh, thirty years ago, I guess now. Jeez, I don't know, twenty five, thirty years ago. Tell the story. But, matter of fact, I just saw one of the guys on flight training. Tell the story. What's that? Tell the story about the cold name Buttface. Remember? Oh my. God. <laughs> What did Jake just bring up? <laughs> this is truly, you know, this is one of these kind of things where this is like historic in naval aviation. Okay. Historic. Historic. Because you never choose your call sign. You get assigned your call sign. I can tell you, this is short music. Here's your call sign. You, you never choose your call sign. It's always assigned to you. If you do something stupid, they'll give you another call sign but you never choose a call sign except for, and I can't believe Jake remembered this. Oh my God, he remembered this. Oh my God. So there was this guy, that, oh my God. There was this guy that I was in the training command with before he got our wings. And like I say, when you go through, when you go through, you get your call sign, uh, they give him the call sign spaz. This is when you're just whatever, call him spaz, because he was kind of a spastic guy, call him spaz. And well, that's what it's your call sign. You can't do anything about it. Well, he got out. Of, he got his wings of gold like I with both naval aviators, and then ended up being in the same squadron, you know, flying A sevens. And he got there before I did. And when I got there, some of the you know pilots were just laughing their ass off because they were kind of going, "Hey, this guy got his call sign changed." And, I'm, oh. and the story is, what happened is that he, when he first got to the fleet squadron, you're flying A sevens. Now you're a fleet guy, or you know, you're, you're a combat aviator. And one of his first missions that he flew, he asked questions. At the very end of the brief, the guy who's leading the mission will always say, any questions from anybody? Anybody got anything to say? Whatever. And so this guy went, I oh, hey, look, you know, I've, I've had this call sign spaz since I was in the training command. And I hate that call sign. I hate it. He says, 
you know, I'm in the fleet now. I'm flying A7s. I'm a fleet guy. I just want to have a, a different call sign. And he says, you guys can call me anything. You can call me butt face. Just don't call me spaz. And the instructor went, well, not the instructor, the guy in the squadron who was leading the mission went, all right, butt face. So he got oh. called. I shoot you not. The next day, the next day on the airplane, the A7 had Lieutenant Tom Buttface Riley. So it's kind of like he's truly the only naval aviator I ever know who chose his call sign. So Buttface, that was it. Just like, yeah, really? So, so, so it came to the squadron. They said, "No, no, no." His cousin Spencer was butt faced, and I went, "What happened?" They go, and they told me as well. Oh my God! So it's like he's a naval aviation legend. He chose his call sign because nobody chooses a call sign. He never chooses it, but he did. It's butt faced. Oh, there you go, butt faced, and that's it to this day. Butt faced. That's the call sign. <laughs> so the F eighteen pilots, you guys are like some of some of the most well-trained pilots what is maybe like the psychology or mindset of like that dog fighting or like having to actually be in a a uh, combat situation in a plane the um uh you know that's one of the things like when you go through training you do all these different things and and they kind of you can see who can Basically, if you're going to do air combat maneuvering, especially like 1v1, we call it 1v1, you go into a different airplane, which is the most arduous thing you do. The, uh, you have to be very three-dimensional in the way you look at things, very three-dimensional. And so they look for that. Some guys look just basically two-dimensional. Some guys are not real, let's just say aggressive. They like don't want to get too close to their airplane. And, and like anything else, it's just kind of a weeding out process. But I would say the biggest thing is being able to look in three dimensions. Like, you know, <laughs> I would, when I started to be kind of like, got to be a little bit comfortable with flying F-18. And then when I, I was like, once I made my little bio, I told Jake, I, I went to Top Gun. I was a two-time Top Gun grad. Um, and, and they teach you that even more. But you really have to look in three dimensions, like you see a plane, you have to kind of look out and wow. You have to look at the plane and figure out what's his energy. Energy state is basically airspeed. What kind of airspeed has he got? Is he lower or higher than me? And so you have to evaluate that. And then you have to think, well, I can take my airplane and go around this or up this or whatever and get to his get to a six and that which sure you want you want to get behind an airplane obviously right uh, but the, the the problem is kind of funny now nowadays things have changed huge really even there are missiles we have now that can go around the airplane and hit another guy so even if somebody's at your six you can still shoot them so it's really kind of changed back in my day it was more you got to get behind the guy to, to either gun him or shoot him and um, but that's what you had to do back in my day was look three dimensionally. You got to be able to look at the plane, figure it's going to do what it's got, and then figure out, well, here's what I'm going to do. And it was it was basically a chess match. This is a chess match. You got yeah, yeah, I, I can. I think who's going to do? I'm going to try to counter that move, and then you do it. But it's 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 totally three dimensional, wow. and that's what separates you know pilots who can't quite get it, the ones who can is 
you have to be able to, because we are two dimensional human beings. You, us is two base. We are two dimensional. Right. You, you you drive in your car. It's just the left, right. Up. There is no up and down. It's two dimensional. So when you start flying airplanes, you've got to look in three dimensions, and that makes it kind of tougher for some. You know, I mean, everybody's got their thing, but that's the thing that you have to develop. Wow. That is how long did it take you until you were like very confident in flying? Like how many years until you were like, yeah, I could do this. I could land on this aircraft. I mean, I know that every time you land on an aircraft carrier, it's always a lottery sometimes because it's just, it's so hard to land exactly. It's so precise, but you know, like what was the time that you felt you were fully like, yeah, I can do this. No problem. Never. Never. never 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 did i feel like I, knew, I didn't i wasn't as nervous as i was when i first started but i was always nervous i was hit with my last night landing night landings were the most horrible thing really? as I, it was that was always frightening because it's dark it's like a little box and even my last night like i would land a curve you know, get the wire and the track I was sh shivering. I was just shaking because it's just like frightening. And even like doing air combat maneuvering and stuff, it's just you. If you get comfortable, then you need to leave. Yeah, obviously, yeah. yes, you're not doing something yeah. right, honestly. Nah. So, bottom line is, Jake, never. I was never comfortable. I was never comfortable. Never, never, never comfortable. Never. That's so interesting. I don't know that. It's oh my gosh, wow! But to, I'll tell you right now, in my view, in my opinion, that's a good trait because whatever you want to do in life, you should always be uncomfortable. You should always kind of go, oh, I could do better. I shouldn't be. So you should really never be comfortable, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. It's my opinion. I just don't think you should be. I think you should always be like uncomfortable. Like, yeah, I could do better than that. Uh, that's not, mm, you know. And so- You don't have to use your nerves right, correctly. You know, because there's a difference between say, because if you get too nervous, you panic. You well, well, but that's once again, like I told you with training, where you never panic. Um, you can get very nervous, but you never panic. So, I mean, there's levels of nervousness, you know, I mean, you always get that state, but you're right, you can never panic, but you can be nervous, you can be stressed out, you can be, my gosh, I gotta do something, but you don't panic. But that's also comes into life when you say, were you ever comfortable? No, because there's always something that might not go well. And a lot of times it doesn't. And yeah. Well, you better figure it out because, uh, you know, you know, I always tell people, people will say, oh, you're just a bus driver at Delta Airlines, which, you know, you could, I guess you could say, you just, and I, and people say that, and I kind of, yeah, well, fine. But I said, this is between me and a, and a Greyhound bus driver or a trained person is that if things go bad there, or they pull over to the side of the road or they, whatever, in an airplane, if things go bad, there is no place to pull over. You, you, you better do something because if you don't, the plane's going down. 
I mean, it's gravity. So that's what makes aviation different than like, you know, we all use the bus driver. Ah, well, you know, it's a bus driver, a Greyhound bus driver can pull his bus driver if the engine quits or something and uh, let's call up some freaking guy to tow us, whatever. Well, you can't do that in, in an airliner. You can't do it in any airplane. So that's why it's a different thing because, well, if things go bad, you better figure something out because the plane's going down. Gravity wins 10 out of 10. So you better figure something out. And that's what all this stuff, does. That's, what, that's what the Navy does. So do you, what, is, what do you see your, maybe your next five, next 10 years? Is it, I wanna become grandpa now? I'm gonna, you know, water sports and grandpaing, or what's what's going on for you? Yeah, I want to be a grandpa, and uh, like, like Jake's dad just was. Carly just had a freaking daughter. How cool is that? So like now, Jake, crazy for you? Jake's got a niece now. How cool is that? Yeah, I'm and an uncle. Like, I'm an uncle. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm totally done. I mean, I I just want to just kind of just relax. I just want to have my house, and you deserve it, man. Yeah, really. After, after, <laughs> just, just you know, you reach a certain age where, well, I'm, I'm gonna be sixty. Just, just kind of, you, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, I'm just getting old, man. I just can't do this. I, I know. Now I do have like, now here's my thing. Also, Jake, maybe, and you, you do. I actually have an acrobatic biplane that I own. It's my plane. Oh, really cool. And I will once. I take that plane up and I'll pull G's and do all sorts of because I just kind of I do like to go up and do stuff. So I own this plane and it's a side by side plane. So if y'all want to ever come down to Florida, I'll take you up in this plane and you can pull some G's and you can pull some G's and see what it's like to be upside down and pull G's and do stuff. And now, granted, it's not an F eighteen, obviously, but, sure. but it's still it's a cool airplane. It's like whatever you, you do stuff. It's, a, it's like it's just like well, you know. I've, I've never well, pulled this plane can pull a lot of G's, but <laughs> well, this thing puts pretty good G's. So, uh, but it's not sustained. The thing about people get too is like, um, uh, the thing that that uh, what an F 18 would do is you can pull a lot of G's, but it was sustained G's. Mm. Like, I could pull, depending on what the configuration was, or whatever, I'd pull like six, seven G's. Can, constant the plane i've got now it could pull maybe four or five g six g's but it's it's it doesn't last long did you ever when you pull kind of g's it, it it bleeds off so much airspeed that the plane can't pull it g's anymore so yeah you can maybe instantaneously get five or six g's whatever but it's it's totally instantaneous you you cannot sustain the g loading on the plane i've got now because it's it's, it's, a, it's a biplane it's like a it's like back in uh, World War One. It's it's a cool airplane, but uh, but yeah, I mean, bottom line, you go upside down, you can do stuff. It's you can do acrobatics. I love it. So I'll take that plane out and do stuff. So yeah, come on down. I'll take you up and I can show you some freaking oh air God. combat maneuvering, whatever, whatever you want to see. When do you think it will be done? When do you think the house will be done building? Uh, three months. They're thinking probably May. Yeah, it'll be done. Wow! Wow, that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have to come out sometime in the summer for sure. Come on down, come on down. I told your dad and Shar, yeah, Harley, Ben, come on down whenever y'all want because I'm pretty much retired. I mean, I, I just Delta is a pretty easy job. 
That's an easy job. How often do you have to work for that? Like, do you have a busy schedule? Like- uh, well, right now I'm waiting. I'm 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 waiting training for the A320, so I'm not doing anything right now. They're scheduled for training, and Delta is in such bad shape right now that they're like, I don't know. We start training. I'm trying out. That's why Jake said, "Hey, can you?" I said, "Hey, Jake, my schedule is pretty wide open because I've got nothing to do." <laughs> yeah. <anymore. laughs> yes. Nothing. Because I'm waiting for training. And so they're paying me for nothing. All right, fine, whatever. That's where airlines work because they just they just got to. It's a very complicated puzzle, and fine, whatever. So, so bottom line is, come on down whenever you want because I'm I'm not really doing anything. But when I when when I'm working for Delta, it's about two weeks out of the month you fly. See, the thing about airlines too is like, you don't, you know, you um, if you're a normal airline, if I have a regular line, you work basically two weeks out of the month now granted the two weeks you're flying right but no shit you're off for two weeks i mean you're off for two weeks yeah it's a pretty cool job that yeah, is pretty do you do international but... flying or sure do yeah i've done that what's the craziest day you've had in terms of like going around to different places or like just a schedule with... of like flying with delta yeah with delta no it's really uh, I mean, it's like it's so because take walk. Yeah, I was, I was, I was comparing my Delta career to my Navy career, and it's just kind of like Delta, and that's why the Delta's coming because the planes are very well constructed, things are very regimented, and they do a good job of making sure that you know you don't crash an airplane. Obviously, you don't want to crash an airliner, and so it's a very I mean, a majority of the time, it's a very routine job, which is what it should be. Very routine. Mm-hmm. We got our checkers, you know, we got to do. Once in a while, I have some bad. I, I've had stuff to happen with the airplane, but even that's like regiment because you talk to people and you go, I'll divert somewhere if the weather is bad or, mm-hmm. you know, something bad happens with the airplane. It's a very, it's a pretty routine job more times than not, which is the way it should be. That's why, when was the last time? A United States carrier like American Airlines, United, Delta, Southwest. When's the last time they crashed an airplane where it killed people? You guys can't even remember. Oh. It's been even, years. Even uh, last, like a Sunday, the what happened in Colorado, like yeah. that, that engine blew apart. No problem. We just land. No yep. big deal. Yeah. Routine. Got it. Engine blew apart. We're landing. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Was it, was it obscure that they grounded 777 planes after that incident? Um, or is that just routine again? Like, well, it's one of these things where that gets into like the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, and they get involved with how uh, you know engines are maintained. It was a Pratt and Whitney engine, which we have at, at Delta too. And so whenever an engine bl- blows apart like that, and that was a pretty severe, but I mean. It's not that happy, but when that engine blows apart like that, they want to find out why. Mm-hmm. And so that particular Pratt and Whitney engine, I think it was a PNW three thirty TAC seven eighty or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, they're going to look at every one of those now. They say, "Well, going to happen again with some other one." So uh, once again, our the aviation industry in the United States is so safe. They're so safe. Where something happens, they're going to freaking do the safest thing possible. Hence why we haven't crashed a jet, and I don't know when. I mean, big airlines. 
there's been some commuters and some other smaller airplanes, but I'm talking about the big airlines. This doesn't happen because we're safe and great. But I will tell you, it's one of those kind of things because it makes my job like good. It's relatively routine. Right. And then it, and then laying on an aircraft carrier, I can tell you that much. No, 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 that's not the way it is. Yeah. We have um, a lot of young listeners, and we love to pose a question to everyone that we interview. If you're young or you don't know what you want to do yet, or you're, you haven't necessarily found your path, what kind of advice you have for that person? And uh, yeah. My advice to anybody is kind of what I do. If there's something you think that you want to do, go for it. Check it out. Don't take the safe way like, well, gosh, but if I do this, I might give up this. Like, look, when I got in the Navy, I took a half cut in pay. I mean, I was, I was an ensign, you know, make shit, you know, you know, Jake, your, your dad and I made pretty good money. We're single. We made pretty good money, but it's kind of like, it's, it's like, it's like my dad said, don't look back on your life and wish you would have done something. Cause I'll tell you right now, that's haunting. If you're in your thirties, forties, and you look like a, you know, I should have gone to this company. I should have got this degree. I should have married this person. I should have started this business. I should, whatever. You know what I mean? Your forties going, I wish I would have done things differently. So if you see something that looks interesting, now granted, I'm going to tell you, when you're in your 20s, you're not that smart. I wasn't smart. Not at all. I was frankly kind of an idiot. No, we are smart. No. Every day, everybody, I'm realizing that more. And yeah, more. But, but, but my thing is, if you see something, you kind of go, well, I'm not kind of interesting to do. Go for it. You don't want to look back on your life and wish you would have done something. Don't want to do it. So that's my advice to everybody is, you find something you, and it doesn't you know once again I, I never flew i didn't know what the hell it was i just watched these planes and, well that looks kind of cool i had no idea what i was doing whatever just did it and so you can see something and you know and, and maybe it will work out but at least you tried and then move on and when you're young you get your whole life <laughs> freaking do these things when you're young and then I know I got one. I want to do something else, but uh, don't don't make yourself trapped because a lot of people they make themselves trapped. Like, well, I can't do that because I'm making this money, and I my company does this, and I've got this retirement package or whatever. Well, if if you're gonna be trapped yourself, oh, I don't want to move, or I like you know, well, you're trapping yourself. Then don't do it. I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. We have, uh, we always usually ask too, or maybe it's the same advice from you, but for someone who's older, maybe they're in their forties or in their fifties and they feel like maybe like they're lost or they're stuck or, or COVID has set them off on a wrong path, or they just feel like their career, they're dead or in a, in a spot. What advice do you have for, for someone in that position? It's kind of like I said, you're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to be, and the thing is, it's, it is tough. I mean, I, I get it. It, it. You know, People like certainty. People like consistency. You know, uh, I get it. And who doesn't? 
I mean, who wants to go to bed at night going, I don't know what the hell is going to happen tomorrow. Who the hell wants that? No one. But I will tell you that there are times where that's probably the position you should be in. So these people who say that kind of stuff, you're going to have to take a chance and like, and be uncomfortable. Be, lose some sleep. You know, I mean, wake up in the morning going, oh, what am I going to do? Figure it out. But if you want to just take a, the, the, the comfortable path, that's fine. And once again, I'm not mocking it. The people who do that, and especially if you're married, you want to be kept. Because, like, you know, when my wife said, I, I got the Navy, because it was, it was tough. I get it. I get it. Uh, that's fine. Um, but that was family. And so that's a little bit different. So you have to kind of weigh things. But my biggest thing is when you're young, especially if you're not married, <laughs> go, go for it. Go for what the hell you think you might want to do. Don't be scared about like, oh gosh, you know, that might not work out and then I'll be whatever, or, you know, I might fail or, you know, then I'll be humiliated or I'll be embarrassed or I don't want to be a failure. Let me tell you something, you know, being a failure is not a bad thing. One of my favorite sayings too is, I forgot who said this, was, was an athlete, you know, it's not what happens when you get knocked down. It's what you do when you get up. So you're going to get knocked down. Why are you going to get up or not? So that's my thing. It's like, uh, there's, it's complicated, especially if you have wife, kids, whatever. That gets, even, that gets a little dicey. But, uh, but that's my advice to everybody. Just don't, don't be a coward. Be brave. Wow, I'm I'm I, so I'm, I'm so, so thank, thankful for your time. Like, thank you so much, and and really it's like been a pleasure. I would have loved pleasure. to have the opportunity to have met your father too. He sounds like such an <laughs> inspirational man. Like, he was he was the dude. He was the man. Yeah, he was something. Wow, brilliant! And uh, I'm sure your son is 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 so proud, and I'm sure you're very proud of him too. Yes. How is that experience like? Did you want your 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 lineage to continue down the military route? Yeah, he, it was kind of funny because, like, you know, um, you know, when I got in the Navy, my dad was Air Force, I got in the Navy. Yeah. And then my son wanted to be an Army uh, Apache, age sixty four, and I don't want to get into how his career thing, but once again, you can you can choose what you want to do. You can say, oh, oh I want to do this. It doesn't make a difference. The military will tell you what they want you to do. Bottom line is, my son wanted to be a pilot the army and they went no we're gonna have you do this job and he did fine at it he's doing fine at it right now um but he's army and so my son and i laugh because it's kind of like i see you know my you know his, his grandfather obviously very well and it's kind of like so you had an air force guy who was his grandfather and his father was navy and he's army and i tell my son well if you have a kid you need to join the marine corps because then every generation is in a different branch of the military. So we laugh about that because it's kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's interesting. But the bottom line is, and this is the way my father was, the way I'm with my son, we all just serve, whatever. Whatever branch you do, that's, yeah, you're serving, it's fine, whatever. You can make fun of the other branches, that's fine. That's part of the camaraderie of being in the Department of Defense. You just, yeah, that's fine. 
so yeah, he, he's a very good kid. He's doing very well. And uh, if he has a son, hopefully he joins the Marine Corps. And then we have all four branches in our lineage. That would be really cool. We'll, yeah, it would be. Soon, we'll see, you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, one of my, the picture of my screensaver on my computers is uh, when my son got commissioned um, as a, as a uh, second lieutenant in the army at the, he went to the Citadel. It was the last time my father traveled. We, we, we went, we flew to uh, um, Charleston, South Carolina as we civilized. And my father and I both put on my son's boards for second lieutenant. And there's pictures of my father, my son, Matt and I, we're all in our, we're all in our dress uniforms. Nice. It's absolutely my favorite picture because that's it. I mean, it was like, what a day that was. What a cool day that was. I, I would, if, if you wouldn't mind, could I, uh, could, would you share that photo with me? Uh, I would love yeah. to see. Yeah. And if, if is, uh, I could have your permission, could I use it uh, to, to help uh, promote the show and use that as the absolutely photo of your headshot? No problem. No problem whatsoever. Because it's a totally, uh, we're all retired, whatever. And I might send them, you know, no, it's fine. Just send me, uh, send me like a, a, you know, a text, whatever your email or, in, well, just a text because I can copy the photo because it's, it's a photo that I've got. I mean, it's like, it's one of, that's my screensaver. <laughs> so, so it's like, it's a simple photo, but it's a very cool photo because it's got my, and it's in the Citadel, they have this big ring at the Citadel. When you graduate, they have the big ring at the Citadel for their class because my son graduated in um, 2014. And then you have my father, my son, and I, and we're all in our dress uniforms. It's the coolest picture. And it's obviously that's when I just cherish one anything else. I just cherish it. That's, that's one of those moments that when, when uh, the time has come to, to leave this planet, that really, oh, it is. that would be. Yeah. And, 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 and that's my thing too, is it just because I, and I tell my son this too, like, yeah, I did stuff in the Navy, whatever, but my career doesn't even come close to my father's. Not my father was a what an absolute war hero, phenomenal. I mean, what a, I mean, I tried to be as good as my father, and I don't know. Maybe when I see him up in heaven, he can say I was okay, but I oh, I'm sure. he was unbelievable. I know for a fact that he was very proud of you. Sure. And yeah. thank him so much for his service. Like that's really, yeah, awesome. I, appreciate it. I really did. And it was something I, I, I love doing it. Well, anyway, send me that stuff, and I'll, I'll give you the picture. It's fine. I'm gonna the recording now too, and then we can, yeah, yeah, send it to me. That'll be fine.